I mean, there's people who are film photographers. We are already sort of a, a niche, right? Within mm-hmm. like the photographic, um, I don't know, interest, you know, bubble. So if you shoot film, you're kind of into it. You kind of know other people who shoot film. And from the beginning, I knew that was like a power we had to harness, you know. Hey, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Amber Castillo. Kyle DePew's journey into the heart of film photography began long before he opened Brooklyn Film Camera in 2015. With a background working for The Impossible Project, which famously acquired the last Polaroid factory, Kyle leveraged his experience and passion to create a space dedicated to the preservation and celebration of film photography. From a modest stall at the Brooklyn Flea Market to a sprawling two-level store in Williamsburg, Brooklyn Film Camera has become a cornerstone for both the local and global photo community, offering a rare blend of vintage camera repair, film sales, and community events. Today, journalist Hadi Adivarekar talks to Kyle to learn more about how he maintains a small business in a niche market, the challenges and triumphs of fostering a photo community in the digital age, and the personal stories of dedication and creativity that fuel Brooklyn Film Camera. Yeah, my name is Kyle DePew. I'm the founder of Brooklyn Film Camera, which is where we sit. And uh, I do a lot of stuff here. <laughs> it's hard to even encompass it, but general management and like direction of the project, I guess, would be a succinct way of putting it. Can you tell me a little bit about the the history of Brooklyn Film Camera? So who were the people who had the idea? When was it first kind of verbalized? And then, you know, what were the kind of chain of events that led to the actual opening of it? So back in 2011, I was working for a company called The Impossible Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, they bought the very last Polaroid factory in the world and quite literally saved the medium of Polaroid, which is kind of nuts. Awesome. There's a longer story there. But in 2008, Polaroid, the sort of mega corporation that we think of when we think of Polaroid, mm-hmm. went out of business. They were in like death throes for years. And 2008 was the, the last year that they were in that state. So they they liquidated all assets as a part of their bankruptcy. And that included the name Polaroid, which was bought by a Chinese licensing firm. Mm-hmm. And that included the very last Polaroid factory, which is in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Kind of two like scheming entrepreneurs got together and raised some money to buy that factory. And uh, you could do a whole other podcast on this. But, but uh, you know, they, they bought the factory for the cost of the building. And got all the machinery essentially for free because Polaroid wasn't, you know, it, was, if you, it would be the most ridiculous thing in the world to try to remake Polaroid film. They right. assumed no one would do that. So they sold the building and they got this machinery for, you know, pennies on the, less than pennies on the mm-hmm. dollar for the cost of what it would actually be to acquire this machinery. So anyway, yeah, I worked for them uh, for four years from 2011 to 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing some camera repair and uh, mostly like artist management and just kind of learning the business of Polaroid and how to sell Polaroid and and, uh, how to work with Polaroid cameras. And it was a wild time to be involved in that project because it was very much a startup. Um, And Julian, who, you know, sits behind me here repairing cameras, and he was working with me then too. So he and I have been doing this together for, gosh, 13 years now, which is pretty nuts. Uh, But yeah, all the while when I was there, I was fantasizing about something like Brooklyn Film Camera. Because at Impossible, we were, you know, for obvious reason we were just polaroid focused mm-hmm. and i liked that and polaroid was always my favorite medium but i thought geez there's a space for something broader than this where it's just all film photography 
And that's where Brooklyn Film Camera came to be. So I left The Impossible Project to start Brooklyn Film Camera. And it was a really modest beginning. I mean, I had 25,000 bucks to start it with, which I made by coming back to work at The Impossible Project. Because I had actually left. Right. And then I came back to do this mm. five-month uh, U.S. road trip with them. And they paid me $5,000 a month. I ended up just saving like literally $25,000 exactly. To start, to start this. And I came back and went, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice with this 25000 bucks that I have now. That's when I was really like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Because I, I, I left and I was, just, I was just working as a bartender again. And the money was good, but I hated it. And um, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this Brooklyn Film Camera idea. And so I did. And um, yeah, it started very small. It was, it was um, at the flea market. So we got a lot of organic exposure. This is a good means of like springboarding the business into existence. And we also did pretty well there too. We, we, we weren't getting rich by any means, but we were doing all right. Yeah. And it was sort of like this interesting litmus test where I went, okay, New York mm. wants this. You know, there's, mm. a, there's a demand for this. And after doing that for two years, we got a small studio. That was the first time DFC had like a dedicated space that mm. wasn't a weird part of my basement. Mm. And that was pretty cool. And we then had our first paid for studio mm. uh, in Bushwick. It was a third floor loft you know, story you'd expect from there. We had a really tiny one and then we got a bigger one and then we got a second one and then we opened a film lab and we got a third one and then we sold that film lab and it was a whole crazy situation. Um, so you're yeah, now, moving from place to place, getting bigger and bigger. Yes, yeah, kind of slow organic growth. And then a year and a half ago, we moved here. And so this is like, as I see it, the final form. Mm. You know, I don't want BFC to get any bigger than this. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to streamline mm -hmm get more efficient and get our online uh, presence moving a little bit bigger. But yeah. I love that. Uh, I love the lore. I want a little lore, lore about you. Now, you said you started uh, when you were very young. You said you got, into, you got into Polaroid. How did, so how did you first come across like cameras, photography? When did you know that this was something that was going to be a part of your, part of your life? And how did that kind of push you towards, because that's really specific. You're still working with Polaroid. Yeah. And you started your whole like photographic journey with Polaroid. So tell me about that continuum a little bit, how it started on you. I guess I got into image making uh, by means of my parents having a VHS camera when I was okay. a kid. And when I was a really young teenager, it's probably like, I don't know, like maybe even like 11 or 12, I remember being fascinated with it. I'd make a lot of stop motion stuff with my friends or just, or just like weird videos where we were just being silly or like pretending to be like G.I. Joes or something, mm -hmm. Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it was always like really potent to me, like the ability to create imagery and then watch it back. Mm. Like something about about that was was really moving to me as a kid. And it still is, quite frankly. I mean, that's the reason I'm still a photographer um, is that it, there's there's a um, yeah, power in that. But I, I, I can remember feeling that really strongly when I was young. OK, so what were the initial challenges of starting a, a small business, specifically in New York City? Because I know that there's a whole other set of challenges that are inherent? I mean, the biggest challenge to me has been the finances, like quite frankly, which is like very maybe obvious. And that was right in the, in the right from the beginning as well? Yeah, it was always financially tough. It was never a business that was making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, used camera sales simply have small margins, right? So right. our average margin, when you average it all out, is believe it or not, only about 32%. So if we sell hundred something for $100, we profit about $32 on average. And there's some exceptions to that. But it's always been a business that's been difficult 
for that reason. Traditional retail is is 100% markup. So if you buy something for 100 bucks, uh, we paid 50 for it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so you can, you can make profit a lot easier in a traditional model. Mm-hmm. So that's always been a difficult thing. It's kind of a, a cheesy question, but also I think it's important to kind of reflect on sometimes. What have, you, what have your biggest learnings been yeah. over the years? Like if you could yeah. narrow them down to three or four or whatever, what, what do you feel like, wow, these are the things that I'm so glad we learned and then it's kind of improved our situation exponentially over it's a great question. Um, not worrying about the day-to-day, like not getting emotional about the day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. If our sales are really bad in one day, it's it's really easy to get uh, to focus on that and go, gosh, it's a horrible day. Oh, man, are we doing okay? Mm-hmm. But you really have to look at the big picture. Um, and yeah, the importance of having a good team is like just beyond description. I mean, I... Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how big that's been, you know. Also, the the importance of community. Like, we we literally wouldn't be a successful business if it weren't for the community things that we do and that we've been doing for years. Tell me, tell me more um, about that because I know it's been. Has it was it always part of your vision before you like started expanding space, or was it something that came about once you started having more space? Yeah, no, it was like from the beginning. Um, I mean, there's people who are film photographers. We are already sort of a, a niche, right, within like the photographic, um, I don't know, interest, you know, bubble. So if you shoot film, you're kind of into it. and You kind of know other people who shoot film. And from the beginning, I knew that was like a power we had to harness, you know. And so, yeah, it's been baked in since the beginning. Even before we had a space where anyone could gather, we were hosting these uh, annual gatherings called the New York City Film Photo Gathering. And we still do this every summer. Uh, it's in Prospect Park and literally hundreds of people come. We have outdoor workshops and people fly in from out of state to be there and stuff like that. It's really, it's really cool. We have classes and workshops here that we teach. Um, our backyard is open to the public during all open hours. It's the winter now, so there's not much going on. But in the summer, there's always like a handful of people hanging out in the backyard, talking cameras or doing a photo shoot or just like, sitting around you know yeah but we we definitely that is a big aspect of this project and will continue to be mm. sure and and would you say that it that it contributes financially or is it more uh in indirect thing where you're building a community and then of course some people will have needs it's hard to put a metric on it i mean yeah i think there's some return on that we try not to focus too much on like the roi of like such things it's more no. about getting people to be here like you know just i don't know people meeting other people in real life is so viscerally important right now yeah. and especially in the bubble of an art form that's sort of specific it's just really great to meet other people who are doing kind of the same stuff as you right and you can look at their gear and that you can kind of talk about it and um it's really important i think to have like real world space for those kind of things and that's often really hard to find when you get into like micro communities like this. Mm. And it feels good to be the custodian of a space that is for that. You've, you've, you've mentioned a little bit about it, about, you know, profit mar- the average profit margins that you're looking at and stuff like that. Are there any other, like, even if they're very approximated, any other numbers that you'd like to share just to give us an idea of the scale of what you guys are doing here? Um, I have no idea how many customers walk through the door, <laughs> but we repair uh, thousands of cameras per year. Oh, okay. um, something in the realm of like 3,000. Oh, um, wow. It's quite a bit. And um, yeah, we're sort of like an elaborate recycling program, which is kind yeah. of interesting. That's you know? a nice way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. We we take old things that aren't working anymore and we repair them and then cycle them back into the world. 
And that feels good. Um, yeah, so we're repairing cameras for customers directly. So they'll come here and say, this is my dad's camera and it's, you know, I'd like to get it fixed. And we buy non-working cameras and fix them up and then sell them directly. So there's kind of two ways of, of doing that. So what, is, what does BFC need right now? Money. <laughs> I mean, I'm totally serious. We, uh, we, this this build-out has been costly, you know, mm-hmm. quite simply. I'm giving you like the unfiltered, you know, yeah, interview. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, the, the build-out, you know, a year and a half ago was very costly. And mm-hmm. there's a long on-ramp to that. And just, you know, I feel like just a few months ago was kind of the threshold where we looked around and went, oh, I think we're kind of done. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like a real sigh of relief at that point, right. honestly. It took, yeah, over a year where it just felt like every week it was like, we need a new printer, like we need another laptop, or hey, we need this shelf built out differently, or we need the contractors to come and fix the lights or fix this wall. And uh, we've also scaled up you know, our, mm-hmm. our team a lot, and there's a cost there. But um, yeah, 2024 is about figuring out the money, <laughs> which we are. We're, we're quite on track for it. But uh, yeah, if you had a genie in a bottle, I'd ask him for some cash. Right. Tell me a little bit about your work culture. You, talk, you spoke about your work culture a little bit. Uh, do you have something like specific work culture? I would classify the culture of Brooklyn Film Camera to be fun. You know, we chit-chat a lot and we we all care for one another. There's like an investment in each other's lives mm-hmm. and in friendship here, which is really cool. That's nice. Um, yeah, a lot of employees who work here become become good friends, and I've always really liked that, you know, that aspect of it. Working alongside Kyle is Kylie Nelson. Kylie is an expert on Polaroid aesthetic restoration. In between cutting a piece of leather to paste on a foldable camera, she shared some thoughts about why stores like BFC exist in New York City. My name is Kylie Nelson, and I am one of the two aesthetic technicians at Brooklyn Film Camera. Okay, so tell me very, very briefly what what an aesthetic technician does. I work um, alongside my coworker, Carlos. We both work with the um, Polaroid SX-70 cameras. So anytime a customer brings in a camera, um, we are the ones that intake your camera. We kind of diagnose issues. We hand that off to Julian, who is our lead technician. He's the one who repairs the um, internal problems of the camera, hands them back to us. Um, we're the ones who kind of are the quality control kind of service. So we do the final testing. We also handle all of the leather um, and kind of just aesthetic purposes of the camera. So we put new leather on. We give it a deep um, CLA. We make sure that everything is functioning properly. Um, and then, yeah, hand it back to the customers. And we also create cameras for to sell in store too. Why, why are spaces like BFC important for you know, for the culture of New York City and the culture of Green? Um, that's a great question. I would say, um, especially living in New York, where it is such a creative city and photography is blooming everywhere, it helps kind of repurpose things um, of that nature, of just bringing back old school ways of photography. And I think that's really important. Um, so, I mean, within New York, there's so many different types of film labs, dark rooms, things where you can really get down and dirty to the nitty gritty of just the sole purpose of film photography. And in so many other cities and places all over the world, you don't have access to that. And I had an SX-70. I got it a few years ago before I even moved to New York. And I knew a Brooklyn Bloom camera. And so Julianne restored my camera. That's kind of how I got more involved with it. And then I learned so much more about this camera and just getting more involved in the photography community out here. So it's places like these where you can really 
get to know people, like-minded people, um, just kind of learn and explore and just mm-hmm. connect with other people who have the same ideas and aspirations as you. The beating heart of BFC is their photo community, something that was baked into the business from the very beginning. Matt Cosby, a freelance photographer from Massachusetts, recently visited the store for the very first time, but he'd been following them on Instagram for over a year, along with 90,000 others. My name is Matt Cosby, and I'm a freelance photographer from uh, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. So do do you know about uh, Brooklyn Film Camera before you came here and decided to visit? Instagram friends. Oh, interesting. I've been following them on Instagram for probably over a year now. Okay. And so, so, and this is your first time here in person. Yes. So, so how does it feel? Like, how does it translate from you know <laughs> having known them in some ways, yeah. Instagram, and then? Uh, it's translating quite well. I'm just excited to be here. I'm with my wife and our other photo friend. Uh, she lives in California. Mm-hmm. We're here for a show, just uh, at Union Pool. So we actually booked our hotel kind of close to here, so we can stop by and and check it out in person. Okay. Um, I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, and. Uh, First of all, I mean, I'm assuming you feel like stores, are, stores like this are important. Yeah. But why is that? Why are stores like this really important? Um, I think it's important to have because, uh, well, I try not to use Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's important to keep photography alive in all forms, digital and film. But I know film's coming. It's made a resurgence. Um, and so the fact that I did forget film here, I forgot film at home. So not only did I want to come check stuff out, there's a heap of beautiful heap of film and i think it's yeah i think that's cool in addition to their film sales and camera repair services the bfc community can also take part in a variety of events where you can meet fellow photographers and learn something new to find out more about their gatherings or brooklyn film camera in general visit their website at brooklynfilmcamera.com slash you can find the link in our show notes that's all for today Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description. <laughs>